In the same way that like a, a messy used bookstore and an old and a nice electronic store are kind of like the two things I need. I don't. I've never been to a supermarket. Right. <laughs> I don't. I've never bought any clothes. I'm sitting here in old rags. But boy, is my computer fast. Couchbase is an enterprise-class, multi-cloud-to-edge, NoSQL database architected on top of an open-source foundation. It's unique because it was formed by the collision of two ideas from different original projects. Couchbase combines a memory-first design built for high performance with a SQL-friendly query language called Nickel that accesses key values in JSON documents for flexibility. It's easy for developers to use, supports mobile development, and offers SDKs for Java, .NET, JavaScript, Go, and Python. Try out their online Nickel query tutorial to see how easy it is to get JSON data back from a select statement. Try the query at couchbase.com slash tutorial. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. It is Monday, the 6th of July, 2020. This is a place where we chat about software engineering, programming, learning to code, technology startups, and just what's happening with our lives. So, Good morning, Paul, and good morning, Sarah. How's it going, y'all? Good morning. Good morning, Sarah. Morning, Ben. Paul, I heard you're changing things up. New machine, new OS, new you. So this is embarrassing. My work laptop, which I have just been obliterating, like it's, you know, always running a video stream. It's, you know, trying to do things in terminal web pages, which are apparently as complicated as a supercomputer used to be and so on. And so my Mac, the battery started to swell and it it appears that I have just obliterated. Yeah, I've hurt that machine terribly. It just can't take anymore. And much like me, when it's under stress, it just starts to swell up and consume (laughs) too much. And so I went and I bought, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll get an iMac. You know, I should get a desktop because there's a part of me here. I'm I'm probably going to be home for a while. Like I might go into the office, but it feels like we're all going to be at home uh, probably edging on 2021. And so yeah. I'm like, I better make this nice. And it's like, yeah, I always wanted a nice curved screen. And then maybe I'll go into these new iMacs. But they're like, a new iMac tricked out is $5,000. It's nuts. It's crazy and, town. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, well, you know, what else? What else is possible for much less money than that? And because I, the thing is, is that I did an inventory. The only thing I use specifically the Mac for anymore is... GarageBand. GarageBand <laughs> to record this podcast. We literally to make right. wave The files. most important every, thing you do every week. I got it. Oh, then you could have yeah. just expensed lo- it. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I uh, so I got a Windows machine, meaning a Linux machine, and look, I mean, there's just an eagerness when you get one of these because you can get a lot of computer now. So it's a 24 core AMD machine with 64 gigs of RAM, which is roughly one million times more powerful than my first computer. Yeah. It's so good. It's so ridiculous. And it, my test is to compile Emacs. That's always my test. It's, it's just like, zoom, just all 24. Because if you don't know this, when you are in a Unix environment and you are using make to compile a file and you go dash J, lowercase J, dash J8 or 24 in my case, because I have 24 cores and uh, or 24 threads and, and 12 cores, God help me. It'll peg all of those while it's doing the make. It'll use all of them to compile your stuff. Wow, why is that? Do you know? Well, compiling is parallelizable, right? Yeah. In the same way that like make, because you know, make, if people don't know it, make, and, and build systems in general, they try not to do all the work every time. And so it's, they're incremental. 
And so they, uh, you know, my instinct, I don't know this for sure, but my instinct has always been like, they'll, they'll split the work up in the same way that they do when they're compiling, except a lot of it, like a lot of those files before they get linked together into one big application are independently compilable. And so why not parallelize yeah. that? That's a totally sensible parallelizable problem. Anyway, I have a 30 inch curved LG screen. I was going to get the 50 inch Samsung and I just kind of played out that conversation with my wife <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, you know, let's, we, we can have some balance here. And, uh, <laughs> The thing is that the good machines are gaming laptops, so they're yeah. kind of embarrassing Does it for have an adult. But... Yeah, do you have an alien, like a glowing alien on the side? Yeah, no. So <laughs> it has a it, it has a system called Aura on the Asus motherboard that you can control the lighting. It has um, yeah. at least seven independent lights, and they all can. That's all I'm interested uh, in. Oh no, Sarah, you would actually. I mean, it's it's got your aesthetic. Like you can go full rainbow. <laughs> you can go like sl- you can go slow pulse. And you can go solid color. I have, because the my office and my bedroom are utterly combined, I have gone with nothing because I received some feedback about the brightness. Mm. That doesn't come in like a soothing <laughs> lava lamp? <laughs> oh, it does. But, you know, uh, no, just people weren't as engaged with it as I was. And so... How does feedback get delivered in your home? Is it like one-on-ones or like do you... Is it... Yeah, what, are, what are the stand-ups like? <laughs> well, yeah. actually, early, this is good relationship advice in general, right? Which is when a person is delivering feedback, it tends to come, this works for like code as well. When people are delivering feedback, it tends to come at an incredibly quick rate. So for instance, you've left, you've left socks on the floor. Oh, well, that's a, obviously I shouldn't have done that. That breaks the social contract. I should pick them up. But it's never just that. It's like you left the socks on the floor. There's some challenges with the dishwasher. And I'm in general just incredibly unhappy about my life. So the rule is one unit of advice per minute. You can't, once you break that threshold, because that's fair, that's 60 units of advice per hour. Right. Like right. I, I should be able to let anyone know what I'm frustrated about within an hour, given 60 units of advice. But what happens is, is that advice sort of backs up and the dam bursts and then you're getting so much advice and then you get really angry because you just don't want any more advice. Yeah. So if you, can, you can't take it if one a minute, Sarah, <laughs> like I, I could tell you something disappointing and frustrating about our relationship. Not that there is anything, but like I could do that once a minute. You wouldn't even notice. You'd be like, oh, that's helpful. Yeah, as long as you did a sandwich. I'm big on the sandwich. Are you a sandwich fan? Yeah, man. Everyone else hates the sandwich, but I love a good sandwich. A good compliment. I love a good sandwich, too. (laughs) Explain what that is, because I'm sure some people don't know. It's when you're delivering feedback when someone or someone's delivering feedback to you and they say something nice about you and then they say an area you can improve and then something else nice about you. Oh. So it's like, oh, here's this nice thing. Here's something I noticed that you could be better at, but here's this other nice thing. Oh, and yeah. I really appreciate that. That's a shit sandwich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's the opposite. Oh, no. No, you're right. It is, actually. It is. Actually, it okay. Is. It's good bread. It's good bread. Part in the middle. It's all branding. It's all branding. Well, the problem with the compliment sandwich that I have observed is that people get really focused on the sandwich meat and really forget about the bread. So it's Mm. like, I think you're a great person. You are really nice. However, at work, you are a failure. But I like your shirt. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, when you do that, the person just literally, you feel good because you gave them a compliment sandwich. And they're looking at you like, they hate me. They just lied to me. So it's the actual bread has to be sustaining and good, too. Yeah. I've learned not everyone likes those. Yeah. Oh, no. It's actually, it is a good technique. You need to do it. It's important. 
So Sarah, we had a blog post written by John Chan, who is on the community team with you, right? Yeah, yep. Yep. And it's about how Stack Overflow hires engineers. So I thought we'd dive into this a little bit since this is our podcast, but also, you know, y'all have worked at a bunch of different companies, maybe thoughts on how this is the same or different than other places you've been. I guess the one thing that stood out to me was the full team involvement. So, you know, I've done hiring at media companies, at tech companies, at Stack Overflow. And yeah, the thing that really stood out about Stack Overflow was having interviews with people across the whole team and even doing lunch interviews. And if a single person says no, that's that's the end of it. Like every, you have to have full buy-in, which to me initially I was like, wow, this is going to be really hard to get to a point of actually hiring somebody. That didn't turn out to be the case. But what do you think about the way we hire? What's unique about it? What do you like about it? What don't What, what don't you like about it? Be honest. Yeah. So one thing that this process has evolved quite a bit since I joined, I've watched, it used to be very algorithmic Mm. in the way that one thing that we as engineers are very good at is determining patterns and then solving for those patterns. So there would be, there was a formula for evaluating resumes and there's a formula for each of the or some of the interviews, if not all, of the specific things you need to look for. And one thing that we realized is that sometimes that formula would exclude folks that were super talented and it wasn't the most inclusive thing. And so we've taken a step back, big step back, and reevaluated each step of our interview process in a way that I think is pretty thoughtful I'm excited to I'm excited to see how it's been over the past you know few months as we hire engineers. So it's been really neat. Oh, I was just going to say one thing that stands out to me about like a coding interview, which maybe is true of other sort of like crafts or like I don't know like technical skills, is that you have the resume, the screening. You know, you're going to have an interview. You're going to have these different sort of like tests. It's interesting because with journalism or writing, you know, usually you say send me your samples, send me your writing samples right away at the top and you you get those first. Then maybe you would give them a writing test where you say like, okay, write something new just so I know that like this stuff you didn't send me was mostly just edited by somebody else and not really written by you. But in hiring an engineer, there's the code screen and the algorithm interview and that stuff is all done live, which to me seems so stressful. Well, not, not always. I mean, that, it depends on the culture and, and the goals of the place. Like, right. and it, this, this also gets tricky back towards what Sarah was saying about inclusivity, right? Like that's, that's been a, mm. a challenge for us too. Not like a, oh my God, we can never do this challenge, but a like, oh, we have to be more accountable kind of challenge. And it, it takes, you know, we've been adapting over time. So take-home tests can work. We're a take-home test place. And then one of the key things is pay for the take-home test. Yeah. Because you don't assume that people People make sure that people are compensated for their time because that's motivating. And actually, once we started paying, we got many more people coming through the pipeline because instead of them going, oh, my God, I have this task that I don't really have time to do. They started to go, oh, well, you know, a couple hundred bucks or, you know, and uh, it was it's a different gift cards is the way you do it, because otherwise it's really complicated. I mean, paying people for their time makes total sense. It's a crazy idea in America. I actually kind of wish we had done this in journalism. Now that I'm thinking back on it, like for Stack, John says we do a 30 minute code screen just to sort of make sure you can do it live with a person who you might be working with. Man, I, I wish we'd done that in journalism. We should have been like, all right, we're going to do a newsroom practice run. This news just happened. You have 30 minutes to write the blog post, and I'll edit it with you, and then we'll set it live. Like that was, That's actually, I wish we had been doing that. We never thought about doing that. It was always done asynchronously. 
Journalism has the myth of the independent contributor. And it's not always a myth. Like a journalist goes off, talks to people, comes back, follows a story. The editor turns right. it into a story, gets published, right? But like that does not exist in, in engineering in the same way. Engineers kind of collaborate, review, change each other's stuff, stomp all over it. A junior might have feedback for a senior. A senior should have lots of feedback for a junior, right. et cetera, et cetera. So like it just – and then when it goes live, the computer is the person reading it. Like nobody – it doesn't matter – you know, like it's just a very arbitrary sort of thing. So it's not credit is really hard to take. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because, like in a in a journalism scenario, even if we were doing something we thought was really important to the site, you would never want more than two or three people to touch it because you would just feel it would be overcooked. Too many chefs, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many editors. That's you right. Know, and, and you don't want yeah, to yeah, code is the same. But with code, I guess that happens a lot. I mean, we used to do like if you were doing live, it would just be you and the copy editor, and that was it. If that you were trusted, if you were senior, and if you were junior, you and then an editor, a copy editor, live. Sarah, ballpark it. You're not accountable for this answer, but like, how many people do you like a real hot path inside of Stack over the years? How many people might touch it? Dozens, 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 dozens. Yeah. If not, if not more. I think one thing I love the take home exam. So I've been in this field for a long time, and when I first started doing code screening interviews, mm. a lot of people look at those like they're a binary, right? Like you either pass or don't. There's no interpretation, right? Like code screens are great because it's very, the computer tells you obviously whether you got something correct or not. Right. And this is a great way to evaluate candidates. And I've, I always love telling this story to folks who say that because I just don't, I don't think that's quite accurate. When I first started doing code screens, I would fail them all the time. And I would be so frustrated because I would get to the answer, right? Like I'd get the answer and the answer would be working. It would be compiling and it would be the solution people were looking for. And I didn't know what was happening until probably my 10th code screen where it was recorded. Mm. And I got to watch the recording. Mm. And when I watched the recording, I realized I w and I watched myself. While I was taking the code screen, I would talk to the interviewer and say things like, I think we should do this. What do you think? Or things like, I think this is a great path and here's what I'm thinking about it. Do you think that's a good path? And that's the way I pair naturally, right? Mm -hmm. Because you guys want to be collaborative. Mm -hmm. But what the code screener was interpreting that as is me asking them for the answer oh. instead of doing it myself. Uh, and that was the feedback I got often. And when I actually watched the code screen, I started to understand, oh, you know, like I'm in my mind, I'm being collaborative in their mind. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and that's when I had to start just kind of being alpha in those interviews and kind of talking over people and telling them what to, what I was going to do instead of talking to them Whoa, about it. That's so interesting. No, it's real. This is a good point about interviews, right? Which is that collaboration is a very, very hard thing to demonstrate. And so like, in general, when you're hiring, you're going to favor the person who might even be like a little rougher around the edges, because you want the energy, you're just like, well, at least I got that energy. And I know they'll push things forward. Whereas someone who is really collaborative in that half hour, if you don't, if you're not looking for it, you might interpret them as passive. And this is really, yeah, it's but is that the way we zone. do it now? Because in John's thing, it says they do it with the, the you know, it's a, the code screen at, at Stack. It's like a half an hour with somebody from our team. Like, I wonder, is is it okay to say, like, what do you think about this? Or I'd like to try that. You think it's a good idea? Or, right, are you signaling there, hey, I'm asking for help because I don't know how to get through this, which is not what you were signaling at all. You were just trying to mimic how you might work with them in real life. 
Yeah, it's a conversation we've had internally a bunch, and we've kind of thrown around different ideas of how we could solve for that. I think at the very least, our interviewers are aware of it as something to look for. Yeah. But I think this is why I also like things that Postlight are doing, like the take-home, because it, it allows for things like that. We also that. don't have that. Your volume is fantastic. Like you have a, we also run a job board. I mean, there's just like right. a, a few things going for Stack. But it's interesting because there's the code review with another human being, and but then it's you said, Sarah, right? There's like, you know, the interpreter or the compiler, which is like a more objective check of whether or not it will work. In journalism, mm-hmm. you don't get that unless you like were to give it to f- 10 people to read and be like, did this article make sense to you? Did you get confused or lost or stop reading? Right? Like the compiler is the nice. It's like the human and the machine have to understand what you did. But you know what you're seeing there in real terms is like, so journalism is the classic old boys network, right? It's because you know the people and you trust them. And so you hire them as opposed mm. to the people you don't know and don't trust yet. And boy, does that tend to lead to a lot of people who look like me. <laughs> and so that's a challenge in journalism. But then tech is supposed to be very meritocratic and about the machine, but it actually turns out to be entirely social, an enormous amount of interaction and communication and a lot of focus on the team. And so the same patterns emerge. And that's what everybody's wrestling with. You know, one of the things too, when you're talking about universal approval of a hire, what I have found is there's always a lot of like very subtle horse trading. Like there's a lot of like, well, I can see how they might work. And it's kind of like, this one will be on you, right? Like I don't, if this isn't on me, if this isn't exactly my person that I'm going to have to help them find success, and you're really convinced you can find them success, I might say yes. But if, you know, so it's, it's more of a conversation than like one person nicking a box and then it's over forever. That's in my experience. I don't know if maybe Stack, it is like a little more anonymous. All right, y'all. It's that time of the episode. I'm going to read out a lifeboat and then we're going to say our goodbyes. Today's lifeboat was awarded on June 30th to Yigit. And the question is, in Android Room's persistence library, how would I write the following SQL statement? And then they want to select from a table where a field has a like value as a query. They say this syntax is invalid and I can't find anything about it in the docs. Ah, the docs. So thank you to Yigit for answering. You can just concat using SQLite string concatenation. That's so hard for me to say. Concatenation. Concatenation. Now I've got it. All right. Thanks to Yigit. Great answer. Great lifeboat. Spreading the knowledge. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And I'm Sarah Chips, and you can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub. I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow, and uh, you can find me at my company, postlight.com. We build software. Very cool. And if you want to know about how we hire at Stack Overflow or you're interested to see what jobs we're hiring for, head on over to stackoverflow.blog and check out the article from our John Chan. Bye. Bye.